doing through you. So I want to share briefly this morning um, a little bit about, about the cross of Christ. When you think about the cross of Christ, if you picture it in your mind, why, how do you picture that um, on the hill of Golgotha? It's outside the city walls. Uh, it's not a nice place to be. It's a place of death. Um, there are crowds of people who would be there. Most of those people are antagonistic. It's a brutal, harsh kind of thing. And I don't know about you. I don't know if I got it through, through uh, movies or, or pictures, artist depictions. I always pictured, you know, everybody's down and they're looking up. And Jesus is up there somewhere on the cross, right? And, and you, you think of that and you think, well, there's a, there's a distance there. But it wasn't like that. I've been doing some reading on it. And it says that the, what the Romans did was they only put them high enough so that their feet wouldn't reach the ground. So they're just off the ground just a little bit. Like where I'm standing now would be high. Uh, just as long as your feet can't touch the ground. That's as high as it was. And they're not far. The Roman soldiers would, uh, with their spears and stuff, would clear out an, a circumference there so that nobody could get to them to rescue them. And so the crowd would be very, very close and so it's not, you're not removed from the suffering or the shame or the agony of what they're, I mean, it's like, like where David and Joe Lynn are sitting. You wouldn't be much farther than that, away from it. And so it's very, very, very close. It's very accessible to who people are, to see and experience uh, the relationship, the dynamic that's going on. They're talking to those people. You can hear what they're saying and the... And you're, you're up close and personal with the suffering. And we're not distanced from it anymore. It's not all like in a movie. It's not like these are people that knew them and that saw them in the streets on a daily basis. And so it's that kind of a thing that God has done for us. The thing about um, things that you see on the news and all of those kind of things, the media, what it does is it removes us from the real dynamic of the experience that people who are suffering are experiencing. You know, it's sanitized and you're removed at a distance so that you're not really confronted or drawn into it unless you're familiar with it, unless you've had similar experiences, unless there are people that you know. And most of us, we see those images and then we go on to something else because we don't like to think about those things and it's, you know, it doesn't affect me anyway. So if it doesn't affect me, then you know, it's too bad for those folks up there and they're having a hard time, but, you know, that's, that's them. And, and so we distance ourselves from what took place. Now, the thing about, uh, about the Lord is that the whole meaning of the incarnation is that Jesus made himself accessible to us. It's not like God is out there. That's one thing. And I don't know what you think of when you pray, how you envision God if you do, if you're just aware of a presence or if, you're, if you have some kind of an image that you're thinking of, you know, some kind of concept of God that we're working with. And that's so impersonal. And a word, even if it's a, a dynamic word, can only go so far. But a person, a relationship, that's a whole different area. 
And so God, what he, what he did in the person of Jesus Christ was he came down and walked among us like us, made himself accessible to us, entered into um, the boredom of every day. You know, we have in the Gospels, we have a, a very, we, sh- we have short cameo pictures of what took place on several days of Jesus' life. But, you know, he, had, he lived 30, 33 years. So he had long days and walking with the disciples, it wasn't every day that they saw a miracle. You know, we get the idea that Jesus is walking along and there's miracles happening all along. Well, <laughs> I don't think it was that way. I think many days they're just walking from one village to the next. That's a long way. You're talking, sharing with one another, stopping to try to get some shade and have some lunch or maybe greeting a um, fellow traveler that's going on, talking, you know. It's just ordinary, everyday life. And they got tired and he made himself accessible, which means he was vulnerable to us. You know, sometimes we, pay, we place people that are in high positions or uh, high public figures. And we, we put them on a pedestal because they are unapproachable. And when these men and women go out in the public, uh, if they're important political figures or even religious figures, you've got bodyguards keeping people at a distance. And so you've got this gap still between us and them. Jesus didn't do that. He entered right in the middle He's in the village, in the marketplace. People are brushing up against him. If there's a crowd and something exciting is going on, he gets shoved and pushed. He is right there accessible and vulnerable where we live. And so the scripture says that he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses, our sicknesses, um, our worries, our fears, our doubts, our confusion. He's not distanced from us in that sense. And so... Accessible means that you're bringing toward, that you are opening the door of admission. And the word accessible is used three times in Scripture. Romans 5, Ephesians 2, 18, Ephesians 3, 12, Romans 5, 2. Every one of those is talking about the way of access to God the Father. And it says it's through Jesus Christ. He becomes the door, the gateway the way of entering in, to know who God is. And the good news is that he loves us and he is on our side. He is for us, understanding our weaknesses, our fears, our failures. You know, a lot of times we hide things. We hide things from other people. Oftentimes we hide things from ourselves. And there are areas within our own personalities, our own emotions, our own thoughts that we don't go very often. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that they're not there anymore until something happens, a crisis of some kind hits us hard and then all those things that we thought had been dealt with or that we've buried deep, they come to the surface unlooked for and uncontrollable and they just come out. Because Jesus is so close to us, And because he knows us better than we know ourselves, he knows those things are there. And that's why he came to die on the cross, to deal with those deep inner things that move and motivate us and affect every waking hour of our life. 
We bury those things deep, but they influence us. And they have an impact upon us. So it's at the cross that all of these things come out. You remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, at the moment that he cried out and said, it is finished, the veil in the temple, huge, massive, thick curtain that was there, keeping people from the holiness of the presence of God, was torn from top to bottom and thrown, it was just torn, ripped apart. And God was saying, I am accessible to you. You are to come in. And it's through Jesus Christ that we enter that. And he invites us to come. So the cross is close and personal. Um, do you ever have somebody in authority over you that you wish you would be able to meet on a one-to-one -one level? Without fear of the authority that they have over you. You ever been that way? There's a, a boss or an employer that you really had trouble with and you, you thought, man, if I could... Uh, they've got this power over me and there's nothing I can do about it and I have to be careful. I have to be nice. I can't tell them what I really think. You ever been there? I've been there. So maybe it's a political figure. Uh, maybe it's someone in your family that because of their position in the family, they're unassailable. You know, you, got, you can't tell them what you really think because of, you know what would happen if you did. And so we, we bury all that stuff and we hide it inside. Sometimes, most of us feel that way about God. When Cain killed his brother, it was because he had this rage inside. He was angry. He was bitter. Who was the rage against? It's against God. But you can't reach God. But his little brother is here, and he can reach him. And he is walking closer to God than, than Cain was, and he resented it. His younger brother. And he's approved by God, and Cain's not, because Cain's heart's not right with God. Now, he can bury that down, but at the end of the day, it's going to come out. Jonah is bitter and bitter against the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians. He hated that group, uh, those Assyrians, those people who were so brutal and cruel and were brutal and cruel to his nation and oppressed and hurt and destroyed. He hated those people. And so the whole book of Jonah is talking about that, but when you get down to the bottom of it, he is angry with God. Because God doesn't hate those people as much as he does. As a matter of fact, God says that he loves those people as much as he loves Jonah. And Jonah couldn't handle that. He wanted God to kill all of those people. Because he didn't like them. And they were a threat to him. So God ought to do that. So the whole thing about idolatry. We've been sharing about this in some of our weekly meetings. The whole, the whole concept of idolatry is idolatry, the first letter of idolatry is I. And we make ourselves the center of our universe. We do it unconsciously and unthinkingly because we're taught that's ingrained in us from the time that we are small. All the media around us focuses and encourages us to be self-sufficient, independent, and self-centered. 
And so we began to, to worship things and use people. We worship those things because it makes me comfortable or feel good. And we use people because people become a commodity to, to help me get what I want or help me to feel a certain way. And so we get things all confused. Now, the whole thing about idolatry and selfish self-centeredness is summed up in one word, control. I want to control what happens to me. And more than that, I want to control what happens to you because I want you to do what I want you to do. And so it's about control, manipulating other people for, because self is the most important thing here. And so the whole power and authority of idolatry is control. That's why we shy away from commitment because if I'm committed to another person, that means I have to share to a degree some area of control in my life. I don't want to. So I don't want to commit to anything because that means this relationship becomes important and that I, I don't have control over that. And so it interferes often with our relationship with God. And that is really the key, the focal point of what Jesus is trying to do in our life. Uh, am I in control of my life? I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. We learn it. We memorize it in the poems. Good literature at school. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. It's my life. I can do with it what I want. I'm in charge here. Um, and I will decide what I want to do when I want to do it. It's a control issue. And, you know, God, I'll let you, I'll let you into this area of my life. But God, this area of my life, you can't come into. And like Adam and Eve, because of our sin, we try to hide. And we lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie to God. We lie to others because we want to maintain control. If I'm not in control, I'm, that means I'm accessible. And that means I'm vulnerable. And that means I'm going to be hurt. So I raise the barrier, build the wall, get behind it, and have a fortress mentality. Uh, come and take it if you can. And God did. And that's the purpose of Jesus coming. But he didn't come as a conquering army. He came as an equal to us. He emptied himself and made himself equal to you for the purpose of allowing you the opportunity to surrender and let control go. We talk about it in different language, but it all means the same thing. When Paul talks about dying to self, that's what he's talking about. Letting go, letting, letting loose of the control. Now this, has, this is hard for us. It's like dying. And that's the whole point. It's dying to ourself. Letting go, becoming completely open and honest and vulnerable before God. Um, inviting him into the whole house, inside the rooms, 
every single one, opening all the closets, looking under the beds. You know, it's it inviting him in and saying, Lord, you have complete access to who I am and what's going on inside of me. Now, he already knows. The only one that we've ever deceived in terms of control is ourself. Small child sometimes thinks that they are in control until the parent grabs them up. <laughs> And the kid's, he's screaming and kicking and hollering and you're taking him somewhere he doesn't want to go and there's nothing he can do about it. And you're letting him know, uh, you're not in charge here. I am. And God does that to us. He puts us in situations to where we have no control. And when that happens, then we're faced for the first time. Who's really in charge of my life? Most of us don't know when we're going to die. That's out of our control. We didn't determine when we were going to be born or who our parents were or what part of the world we were going to be in. Those things were completely out of our control. Nobody asked us. They didn't consult us. Oh, would you like to be born in this place? No, well, no, I don't want to be born over there. I'd rather be born over here. Oh, how about your parents? Would you like these people to be your parents? Or don't know. You know, it wasn't like that. We had no control over those things. Um, when sudden terminal illnesses hit us, uh, we have no control over that. And all of our plans and all of our ideas, all of our thinking, all the things that we had hoped for and planned, all of a sudden, they get re readjusted and re-evaluated on what our priorities are. Why does it take something like that to help us to look and see where we really are and what is really important in our lives. It's because we're idol worshipers with the big eye. So it's this area of control. So in Ephesians, it says that Jesus died on the cross to break down these walls of separation that exist between people. Um, one of the things that he uses to do that is language or culture, to break down the walls that separate people, to make it to where we can communicate each with each other. And we make ourselves vulnerable. You have to do that um, in order for that to take place. And so in the cross, Jesus is coming up close and personal. You remember at the cross, there were people that were uh, his bitter, bitter enemies from their side. And they were, they were scoffing, they were mocking, they were challenging, they were ridiculing him. So in the book of Psalms, the Lord says, Scorn has broken my heart and left me defenseless. The people that he came to save, uh, aggressively rebellious against him. And to a degree, we're all there. You can come this far and no farther. So, us talking to God, I won't let you into this area of my life. And God whispers, I'm already there. I already know. I'm waiting for you to acknowledge that. Number one, that it's there. Number two, you don't control it, it controls you. Number three, I'm here to relieve you from that burden. 
and set you free. Adam and Eve, um, in the garden, we've been studying, studying this on Thursday nights a little bit. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, before sin, they were naked. It was just him and her, the animals and God. And they weren't ashamed and they weren't embarrassed. They had nothing to hide. No one was striving for control. As soon as sin entered into the question here, first thing they, they realized was that they were very vulnerable and too transparent. And immediately the walls came up. Now, and the outward circumstances had not changed. There weren't a bunch of other people around. It was just him and her and God and the animals. That's it. There wasn't anybody else around. But now, this nakedness was an embarrassment and a shame and they had to try to cover up and the covering up with the clothing was just it's an indication of the building of the walls and the covering up I'm not going to be vulnerable to you you are not going to see what's inside me because if you saw it you wouldn't like me and so I'm all now all of a sudden I'm very self-conscious now the big eye starts coming up the idolatry of myself and the one that God created to be his helper now Adam is willing to destroy to make himself look better. Did you sin, Adam? Yes, I did. But it was her fault. She learned quickly. Eve, did you sin? Yes, I did. But it's the serpent's fault. Now, Adam reminded God that it was the woman that God had given him. And when you look at the serpent, well, that's a serpent, that's a creature that God created. So God, it, it's really, it's your fault. <laughs> it's not mine. I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I did the sin. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I did that, you know. I, I, but it's not really my fault. I, I couldn't help myself, or it's the situation, or it's these people. It's somebody else's here that's going to take the, you know, there's a reason why I did what I did, you know. Yeah, there is. Uh, you deliberately chose because you wanted to control things better than God and I find I don't know about y'all I find myself uh, stopping every now and then or God stops me in, I, in my prayers and it's a shocking thing I'm telling God what I want him to do when I want him to do it and how I want him to do it I don't know if he'd be able to do that without my help I'm in control right so it's, it's a whole different thing about letting Christ into our life. Jesus is Lord. Are you sure? Are you sure? That means he's in control. Jesus came, comes down, empties himself, all of his rights, all of his privileges, all of his benefits, he laid aside, made himself vulnerable for you and for me. So Adam and Eve are trying to cover up their nakedness even though it's only him and her. They crucified Jesus naked on the cross. Vulnerable to everybody. Publicly. God making himself accessible 
to you and to me. Vulnerable. He did that so that we could come into the presence of God without shame, without fear, without guilt, without all the negative focus being upon me. And I think that's the beginning of heaven. When our priorities shift, and now it's not so much me, but Lord, it's you. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. God, this pain and suffering and humiliation and shame that's coming, and I know it's coming. I know that it's part of your will, but if there's any other way, take it away. And he prayed it three times, and God the Father looked at his son and said, No, it's not possible. If these people are going to be saved, you're going to have to go. And Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. I'm relinquishing control. Mary did that at the, at the Annunciation that we're getting ready to go into the Christmas season next month or month after that. And the angel comes down and he says, these things are going to happen. This is what it's going to look like. This is what the people are going to say because they know you're not married. And she says, be it unto me as you have said, not my will, but yours be done. And she took all of that, all of that she took made herself vulnerable, accessible to God. And God did a miraculous thing. And the world hasn't been the same since. And God is looking for people, Christian people, who will make themselves accessible to God. With all of our faults and all of our failures, our weaknesses, our fears, our shame, our guilt, all those things, He knows them already. But He also knows what He's gifted us with with the strength and the courage and the vision and the direction and the will. He knows the positive as well as the negative. And he's come to deal with the negative and to lift up the strengths, celebrate the strengths. But the strengths can't be real strengths until we take away the weights that hold them down, making ourselves accessible to him. That's what he did for us. Created in the image and likeness of God, we threw it away, and Jesus comes back and says, This is what it looks like. This is what it means. This is what it costs. And if we want to be like Jesus, we're going to have to go that way. And before the Lord God Almighty, make ourselves accessible and available. Not my will, but yours be done. God, I'm taking control of my life, and I'm giving it to you. And I'm stepping back. Now we can do that for a short time. But unless God comes in and helps us, we'll take it back. Well, I, I want you, I want this to take place in your life. Well, well, um, we can do all of this and all of this and all of this and all of this. And all, but I don't know about this. And he says, well, this is the one thing. So the, the good news is that he's come to help us. He's come to help us. Um, anytime you're talking about crucifixion, that's one way that you cannot do yourself. You can't crucify yourself. It's impossible. So the Lord will help us. And we just have to be willing for his will to be done. Say, so here I am, Lord. Um, 
It's not the death, it's the dying. And the dying is the hard part. And the good news is, Jesus says, I'm here, and I will walk with you through that. And what happens when we die to self and when we let go control is God does a miracle. As soon as we die to self, there's an infilling of life, His life. And there's a resurrection that comes out of that death. And God creates you, He makes you, transforms you to be what He created you to begin, to be to begin with. And it's a glorious thing. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. That means we are not like Him. And he created us to be like him. Um, we were created to bear his glory, to be uh, lighthouses or, or candlesticks or light bulbs, however way you want to look at it, but it's more personal. It's not an object, it's, it's a living being where the light of Christ shines in us and through us to the people around us. And the people in the darkness, they don't understand it just like they didn't understand him, but they see it. And then they respond to that one way or the other. But it's his presence, his life in us that radiates out, that draws people unto him. It doesn't happen. Uh, it happens to the degree in which we surrender that control. And that's what Paul is talking about as we keep our eyes focused upon him and as we're walking with him, focusing on him instead of on ourselves, that he transforms us day by day, more and more into the image of Christ. John says, when the Lord comes back, we don't know what we will be, but we will be like Him. That's what we were created to be, like Jesus. And God is working through the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Christ, cleansing and purging, dealing with our hearts and in our lives, bringing these issues up so they can be dealt with, and taken away so that each day we're becoming more like Him. The light of Christ shining through us. And there's a strength there. So Paul talks about outwardly uh, becoming weak, wasting away day by day. And at the same time, the glory of Christ is becoming stronger day by day. Has nothing to do with outward circumstances. Has everything to do with who's controlling your life. Who's in charge. Uh, what's most important, what I want uh, or what God wants, and turning it over to Him. And that's a difficult thing. So that's what He's offered us, and that's what He's inviting us to do. Let's pray. So Lord, we come to You as needy people, thanking You for making the way of access possible because You let go of all control and allowed came down and allowed us to do what we wanted to do. Help us to see where that leads. Help us, Lord, to see what happens when you take charge of a person's life. The miracle that transforms and changes and illuminates every area of our heart and life, every motive, every desire under the blood of Christ. Draw us close. Help us to see, Lord, the, the offer that you give to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Through that accessibility and vulnerability, it comes at a price. Um, there's a death to be died. And it's more than just words. Jesus showed us what he was talking about 
on the cross. And he says, if you're going to walk with me, you've got to walk in the same way. Uh, letting everything go. Everything. No strings, no reservations, nothing. Total commitment or there's no commitment. So that's what he offers to us. It's possible. He's been here. He's done it. He's paved the way before us. I'm, I'm going ahead of you to prepare the way for you. We've sung about it. Christ before me. He's behind me. He's around me. The angels of the Lord encamp encompassing around us. Uh, because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. After he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, Each of you drink of this cup. It's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. And it's through the blood of Christ that we are transformed. It's through his life entering us. And so um, we're either living our life on our own or Christ is living his life in us and through us. And it's one or the other. And so he invites us to come and participate in the very life of God himself. So will those who are serving communion please come forward?